So I want us to think in terms of the Holy Spirit as the person of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit's co-equal to God. Um, Vic, will you be able to help Olga with... Uh, So we believe that the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son is the same essence as God the Holy Spirit. There's not a, a separation. Scripture describes the Holy Spirit in personal terms uh, as not being an impersonal force out there, but a very relatable uh, personable, tangent aspect of God. He teaches. Jesus said, I'll send the Comforter, I'll send the Holy Spirit, and He will lead you and teach you. He teaches. He, uh, he guides us. We see uh, an example in the book of Acts where the message of the gospel, God wants to see it go into Macedonia or into the European continent. Up until then, it had only been in uh, the Asia Minor, right? And uh, so he wants it to come into Europe, into Macedonia, and he gives Paul the vision, you know, to come over, the man saying, come over to Macedonia. And he says that after consulting the Holy Spirit, we concluded and talking among themselves. We concluded that it was God, and, and they went. And what's the first thing that happened when they went into Macedonia? You know, they probably thought, oh, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. <clears throat> Who knows what they thought? They don't really write that out. But I can only imagine that, you know, they're like, okay, this was through a dream, through a vision. We, You know, we're on this new thing. We're taking the gospel into Europe the first time to see it go into Europe. Man, we're going to have tents, a huge tent. We're going to have this big uh, revival. And they go there, and they run into a couple of women that are praying. Now, this is going to be instrumental later on in the message, the significance of them running into a couple of women praying. See, I believe that the aspect of women in the church is really out of whack. I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit are just as much for women as they are for men. Yet we have taken a church that usually, and here's the, here's the deal on that. Let me explain that a little bit. <clears throat> I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll backtrack. <clears throat> the church predominantly is guided by men. And men, as a whole, often discount the workings of the Holy Spirit. Whereas women seem to be more readily accepting of the things of the Holy Spirit, and then we don't want that released or utilized in the church. And it's made a big mess of things. The church is powerless in a lot of ways. The church is not doing the things that it should be doing in a lot of ways. And the women that we do see being recognized in aspects of the church are wackos. 
in a wacko part of the church. I'm not talking about the, the church that's walking in holiness. I'm talking about there's aspects of the body of Christ where they have become so liberal and they only have these super left-leaning, liberal-thinking, demonically-inspired doctrine, and those seem to be making headways in releasing women. And I think, you know, the devil understands the power of women. God understands the power of women. The church has yet to understand the power of women. So, women... Even though you're not here today, very few of you are. Thank you for those that came. Yes, appreciate that. Um, but this message is predominantly, it's for you, but it's predominantly for the men in this church. Because men, we often relegate our ministry in the Holy Spirit to that's the, our wives' job. That's the ladies in the church job. They're more spiritual than we are. You know, and yet it's men who predominantly exercise guidance in the church. There's got to be a better balance. There's got to come a greater release, uh, better unity in that and, and working of that. Um, the Holy Spirit, he teaches, he guides, he comforts, he intercedes. Romans tells us that we don't always know how to pray as we ought, so the Holy Spirit prays the prayers of God for us. He possesses emotions. How many understand that the Holy Spirit has emotions? The Holy Spirit has emotions, the Holy Spirit has intellect, and the Holy Spirit operates in will, free will. Uh, just like man, he says, let us create man in our own image. With body, soul, and spirit, having free will, that's a representation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in unity. If you took out my soul, um, you know, I'd collapse and fall to the ground. If you took out my spirit, I would have no guidance in life, and I would just live as a sinner and uh, fulfilling the deeds of the, the flesh. Uh, if you took away my body... Uh, I don't care if my spirit's here and my soul's here. You wouldn't know it. I'd be on one of those ghost hunter shows. This church has Pastor Mark in it somewhere. The Holy Spirit can be sinned against and can be lied to. You ever thought about lying to the Holy Spirit? Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira found that out. Don't lie against the Holy Spirit. Um, all the... The scriptures say that the Holy Spirit does works only God can do. The Holy Spirit can create, can regenerate, and can sanctify. Those are the aspects of the Holy Spirit at work. That's not all of them. That's just a few. So, with that in mind, as an introductory um, 
statement on the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 14. I had an interesting experience this, this weekend. A young couple wanted to get married. Um, came and asked if our church was available. They had rented a room over at the Best Western. But they really wanted a church wedding. And uh, the church that they attend was not going to necessarily bless their their wedding. They weren't against it. Uh, they said they would bless them after they got married, but they just wouldn't participate in them getting married because the young man didn't show enough um, fire in his life. Um, yet they... It's the, the church they attend does not accept the Holy Spirit and the speaking of tongues. They teach against that. And uh, yet they speak in aspects of we don't see enough fire in your life. One of the things that he shared with me personally, and he said, you know, he doesn't care that I share this. You don't know who it is, so it doesn't matter. But he says, uh, I went through their, whole, their class for a whole year on getting baptized. And when the year was up, I said, can I get baptized? And they said, no, we don't see enough fire in your life. And that seems to be the dominating factor here, enough fire, enough fire. Anyway, we don't see enough fire in your life, so we're not going to baptize you yet. And he says, yet the teaching at the church they go to is if you're not baptized in water, you don't go to heaven. So his question to me was, what happens to me if I die? And I said, well, this is going to give it away a little bit. I said, well, you won't go to Baptist heaven. But if you died right now, you would go to heaven where Jesus is at. So that should be plenty acceptable. But the point being that we want to discount certain aspects of the Holy Spirit. Like, uh, uh, yeah, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we don't believe in this portion of the Holy Spirit. And when you discount one aspect of something... You're literally uh, discounting the whole, whether you know it or not. There's a lot of teaching out there to teach against the speaking in tongues. Tongues was for yesteryear. Tongues, uh, it says, they use the scripture often. It says, um, when that which is perfect has come, these gifts will be done away with. Well, uh, Huh? The, the argument there, and let me help you with this, the argument there is that the, the, that which is perfect has come. They say the Bible, the written word of God, is perfect and has come. I really believe it goes on beyond that. My personal belief and conviction in that is the church will be made perfect. And when the church is made perfect through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the workings of God... It says the church will do what, Bob? Present herself as a, as a bride? Huh? Without spot or wrinkle. Then these gifts can be done away with. Until then, they're for the edification of the church. They're for the, the workings of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in God. 
Now, one of the difficulties in this is that we have taken the Holy Spirit, but we're going to be reading some scriptures here. We've taken the Holy Spirit and what we've produced as far as the works of the Holy Spirit are a few meetings a couple of times a year where we get excited and we, you know, call down the Holy Spirit and, uh, and we get emotional about it. And those are all good. I love emotions. I, I don't show them. I'm Scottish. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally emotion-filled right now. But some people show it more so. You know, like uh, in years past, we've had at different outpourings of the Holy Spirit here where we've had meetings where people's emotions got pretty excited. We had the, the fire lady. You know, fire! And she'd run around and the deacon would grab the extinguisher. And say, where, where? No. But uh, we have kind of depicted the Holy Spirit as this emotional experience. But I want to take us on a journey through the scripture where C.S. Lewis puts it pretty well. He said, yes, your emotions are involved. And when the Holy Spirit, you experience the Holy Spirit, you're going to experience real emotional interaction. But that does, doesn't always stay with you. It can fade. You know, that emotion can fade. And often people, when the emotion fades, they think the Holy Spirit faded with it. And so we have to almost, uh, if I can use this word, conjure up uh, those feelings once again to, to validate that we're still charismatic. Okay, let's look at the book of Acts. Did I say that already? So you should be there by now, right? Chapter 14. <clears throat> Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, uh, verse 26. Well, we'll just go back and give a little picture of everything that's happening here. We'll go to verse 21. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch uh, of Syria. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga and went down to Atalia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their, their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God and to the work they had now completed. Basically, um, my scriptures that I'm reading out of the New Living Translation doesn't depict the aspect of the Holy Spirit there as, as well as it could. But basically what they're doing is they're walking 
through the guiding, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, leading them to do the works to see the church advance. Part of the church, uh, part of the Holy Spirit's job is to see the church increase, to see the church uh, mature, to see it get established. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we we really took, or at least Vic took away from that uh, movie last night, Nacho Libre, is, is uh, sometimes men wear stretchy pants. First Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by the Holy Spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the spirit of of this world, So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Paul was saying we've received these revelations. We've received these understandings. We've received this insight into these mysteries of God only through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Without the Holy Spirit, uh, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to understand the things of God. Now, huh? Okay, read it for me. Very good. Now there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit and there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's the workings of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into those at some point in time. We're not going to get into those today. I just want to do sort of an introduction into this um, person, the Holy Spirit. And I want us to take some time and give consideration to why are we not utilizing the Holy Spirit in our lives as we can. I quoted C.S. Lewis a few minutes ago when he was talking about the the emotional uh, aspect that we can get from uh, receiving the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit work in our lives, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
it's a lot like receiving a gift. I get real excited at my birthday when I get a gift and, and I'm going to open it. I know what's there no- normally. After you reach a certain age, you know it's a shirt or socks or underwear. And um, But it's still, you know, you get the gift. My wife always makes sure the gifts are always wrapped. She loves to wrap gifts. I mean... Uh, there's different ministries that we have, different ways of expressing the Holy Spirit in our life. My son, he loves to give me gifts in a bag with a receipt still in it that's still warm from the cash register from uh, the uh, sportsman's warehouse that he stopped at on the way to my party, right? It's just as exciting, but there's an excitement about it. You get a new gift. Well, that's just the excitement. It's the gift itself that's of real value, right? So it's in acting on that gift. It's in utilizing that gift that is so important. I believe the church today has just been too much into just receiving and opening presents, never utilizing the actual gift, We don't utilize the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us. And as I said, when you discount one aspect of the Holy Spirit, you diminish all aspects of the Holy Spirit. For example, if we want to discount the speaking in tongues, which it's still controversial in the church today, as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago or longer, you know, maybe forever, but... Uh, um, for me, in my experience, I remember when I first became a Christian, uh, I was uh, had become friends with a, a, a chaplain in the Salvation Army. He was a captain or corporal or lieutenant. He was one of those. Anyway, he took me under his wing, and he was discipling me somewhat. And he kept telling me, stay away from emotional expressions of the church. Stay away from this. Stay away from that. Well... Unfortunately for him, but fortunately for me, in the midst of him explaining and taking me through scriptures that he thought um, uh, would justify that, I had gone to a service uh, at Abilute Christian Center, and uh, and it had really just... Shattered me. I'd never been in a service quite so vibrant. And this person got up and spoke in tongues, and I had never heard that before. But I didn't know it was tongues. I said to my wife, I said, hey, uh, they speak Jewish here, or Hebrew here. And she said, no, I think that's tongues. And I went, oh. Well, then somebody got up and gave an interpretation of that tongue. And when they did, something happened to me. Great conviction fell on my heart. Now, I had talked about being a sinner many times in my life. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm a sinner. All my friends are sinners. We're all sinners, you know. I'm pretty good at it, you know. Obviously, I didn't want to go to hell. But you know what? Receiving Jesus isn't just for a ticket to go to heaven. It's for a life transformation experience. 
But a great conviction fell on my heart. Now, what is the workings of the Holy Spirit? One of his workings is conviction for sin. And uh, I didn't wait for an altar call. I didn't wait for the minister. I didn't wait for anything. I was like, this time for real, I am a sinner. And I got to get out of here. That was my exact thought. I am a sinner and I got to get out of here. But there was no way out. Uh, They had pews and we were in the middle of one. And there were people on both sides and I was like, I got to get out of here. And suddenly it just came to me. All that my grandma had taught me in all Sunday school or uh, vacation Bible school and the different people that I argued with on the streets that had been preaching the gospel to me, it all culminated. And I said, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And the power of the Holy Spirit began to work in my life and regenerate me. Okay, where did I leave off? Where did I tell us we were going to be? I didn't. All right, well, let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Verse 8. Now, here's the story of Peter. And uh, the interesting thing about Peter is... You know, he wasn't an overly studious man. I mean, I'm sure he had aspects of knowledge of the Old Testament. That's all they had at this time. They only had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament like we do today to guide him, to enlighten him, to fill his head with knowledge. Um, So he only had the Old Testament, and the few things he picked up in walking with Jesus over uh, three years. But mostly he was still a fisherman. Probably some pretty coarse language from time to time, like fishermen can have. Um, But he wasn't always even a good fisherman. I mean, one time he didn't even know which side of the boat to throw his net on. We fished all night. Well, just try the other side of the boat, would you? You know, you hate it as a fisherman. I hate it when you've been fishing all day and somebody walks up, does the same thing you're doing, only just a little over here different, and boom, they get their fish and go home. You're like, I'm going to kill that guy. Okay, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Here we see um, Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. What made all of a sudden this difference in his life? Because Peter, now having studied the New Testament and all the scriptures for the last 16 years. Because Peter, having gone to seminary. Because of Peter, having known the Old Testament completely. Because of Peter, now... Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? 
Peter understood the aspect of being filled with the Spirit. You see, when you're filled with the Spirit, I think sometimes we shy away from it. I know I do. There's times I shy away from the mention or let's have the Holy Spirit enter our meetings because I figure somebody's going to have an emotional uh, reaction, you know, and they're going to flop like a fish on the floor or they're going to do something or they're going to prophesy in a weird way. How many have heard off prophecies that are a little off before? You know, uh, we don't, we, we haven't seen that enough in our church lately. And I want to see more. I want to see those things working. Um, but uh, I have a friend, uh, I haven't seen him in years and years, but he, he was a minister at Abbott Loop, went out and started a church in Seattle. And a guy at his church got up and gave a, a, a prophecy. And then he, as the pastor, got up and said, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to judge these prophecies. And I really, uh, in doing so, I don't believe that prophetic word was from the Lord. And he said, the man jumped right back up and said, it was to me, saith the Lord. (laughs) And he says, what do you do with that? (laughs) Uh, I remember one time in our uh, church here. Uh, a couple came with their relatives, had brought them, and they must have been having some sort of trouble because the one fellow stood up and gave a prophetic word. And in the word he says, and the Lord says, I will snap you like a twig. And then he turns to his brother-in-law and he says, and you are that twig, says the Lord. And I'm like, oh, boy. I said, well, this sounds more like a family issue than it does a word for the Lord for the church. It's not necessarily edifying the church. But here we see Peter. What changed? And what was his outcome of his encounter with the Holy Spirit? And that's what I want us to look at. The outcome of his encounter with the Holy Spirit was not just an emotional meeting that he attended to, that he attended, and then it waned away. It actually empowered him to do something. To share with boldness God's word from the aspect of understanding the mysteries of of God. You see, when the Holy Spirit's in your life, you can speak from a place of the Holy Spirit and things that all of a sudden understanding about God can come out of your life that you will never get just simply from reading the Scriptures alone. You need to read the Scriptures. You need to understand the Scriptures. We've been given the Scriptures. But here's an example of someone who didn't have the New Testament But just his words were writing the New Testament. So often you can just be yourself, filled with the Holy Spirit, given the circumstance you're in. And as you speak, God can reveal mysteries and revelation and bring conviction 
from the Holy Spirit can bring regeneration into a person's life, can bring salvation to a man or woman's heart, simply because of what? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you speak. The Holy Spirit as a person is very active, not passive. Whatever preconceived ideas you have of, of the Holy Spirit working in your life, um, you need to take that and lay it down at the feet of, of, of Jesus and say, you know, I, I really want to be a man or woman of the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. Because your preconceived ideas may be wrong. As we see throughout the scripture here, it was always the Holy Spirit enabling an individual to bring about revelation, bring about healing, bring about deliverance, bring about these things that caused change. I'm just about ready to wrap it up here. In... uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, uh, they're, they're setting aside seven men to serve as deacons. And they said, uh, Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked the idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, one of them, or Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. What was the what was the evidence in his life? Oh, he's a, he's real. He's always here. He's a real servant. He's a real you know. Well, yeah, that's probably was one of the things that they identified as the Holy Spirit working in his life. He was a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. Well, how did they recognize that? Because he was always running around shouting. Hallelujah, fire, fire, glory, and flopping on the floor like a fish. Maybe. Maybe he did that too. <laughs> Doesn't say that he didn't. But they understood him because they were like, uh, they were. there was evidence of some power working in his life. And in his aspect, it was the power to serve. But often we think in terms of, okay, well, I'm just a servant. So therefore, I'm limiting. And I begin to discount aspects of the Holy Spirit, which discounts all aspects of the Holy Spirit. You can't discount one area and think that it doesn't discount all areas. So later on, we see in his life, he's so filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God and such conviction is operating that they decide to stone him. He's teaching now, I believe Stephen was a little bit more educated than, than Peter was as far as the scriptures in his background. But he's teaching. They didn't like the conviction because of his teaching, so they took him out, they arrested him, and they eventually stoned him. And during that time, he is so filled with the power of God, it says, that he's preaching revelation, understanding that only comes from the Holy Spirit. It didn't come simply because he understood the scriptures. 
Understanding the scriptures certainly is helpful. But revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this. I can attest to it. I read the book of Ezekiel three years before I got saved. And I could have turned the Bible upside down or sideways and I'd have come out with the same thing. I understood nothing. I was like, this is hard to understand. Acts chapter 8. Just a few more scriptures here. In Acts chapter 8, we'll start with verse 9. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years and was amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone, how many of you have watched any kids' programs on TV lately? Besides Bobby and Jesse. How many of them are centered around sorcery? And, you know, powers. And, you know, superhuman powers. And, you know. So he's claiming... A man had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God. What happened there? What was the difference? Yeah, how did they determine that? I mean, they're they're following Simon, and you know he's got all this magical uh, powers, and all of a sudden here comes Philip. What what was the difference? It says we'll find out. Philip was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction, and the Holy Spirit can divide between truth and deception. And the Holy Spirit can bring understanding to the mysteries of God, whereas simple magic can't. And the people's eyes were beginning to be opened because of what? Because of the Holy Spirit in Philip's life. But the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized uh, after they went through a three-year course. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Now, this is an interesting section of Scripture. Here's here's Simon. He believed. He's now a believer. And he's a follower. And yet later on, we see him get totally rebuked by uh, Peter because he thinks he can purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. So even though he's now a believer and a follower, he's still got some deception in his life. And he misunderstands the Holy Spirit's purpose. 
down to verse 26 now. Philip, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. No, not, not just some small dude. He's the treasurer of Ethiopia. What are you going to do when you are just Philip? You're just Andrew. You're just whoever you are. Say your name. I'm just... Wow, that was sad. But something happens to you, and you're just in your job, you're just doing what you do daily or whatever, and the Lord brings about you encountering someone very important. What about that? Do you ever feel intimidated if you were to meet somebody very important? Sure you do, because they're very important. I was thinking of this uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's all in the news everywhere, right? And making, ridiculing her, making fun of her. I mean, she brings her own 